All right, so, um, okay, so last week I started a new series for us on the light in the darkness. And we talked about the darkness last week. And we're going to talk about the darkness again this week, but we're also going to talk about the light. And the reason for this is because we're in a season called Advent. Um, and part of that is this waiting for the coming of the Son of God and Jesus, who was born in a manger. And, and, and we celebrate that during this season. Um, but what part of Advent that we forget when we're hustling and bustling about and buying Christmas gifts and setting up lights and putting up Christmas trees and buying presents for our friends and family members, what we forget is that there's also darkness. And so last week was a moment for you guys to pause and to face your darkness, face your pain and face your hurt. This week is an opportunity to do the same, but also to hear about the light and to know the truth. So my big idea, if there's one thing that I want you to walk away with tonight, if you just remember one thing, this is what I want you to remember. Jesus is the light of the world. God is in the darkness, and Jesus is the light of the world. So I've asked you guys to face your darkness, to embrace your pain, find the places where you are grieving. I've asked you to do that. And I've asked you to find the places where it feels like darkness is winning. What is your pain? Where does your life hurt? What is your shame? What are the things you've done that you regret? What are the things that have been done to you that have wounded you? Maybe you've been bullied. Maybe you've been the bully. Maybe you've been lied to, or maybe you've also been the liar. Maybe your family hates you, but also maybe you hate your family. Maybe you have lost a loved one, and you miss them a lot, and would give anything to be with them. Or maybe you don't miss them at all. Maybe you hate yourself. You hate the way you look. You hate the person that you are. You wish you could die. Maybe you think about dying a lot. This is your pain, and this is your darkness. You and I, we live in a dark world. It doesn't take much to realize that. When you look at your friends, you look at your schools, you look at the politics, you look at our community, you look at our nation, you look at our world, and you can quickly see that there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of hurting people. So tonight I want you to face your darkness you do not have to ignore it anymore, okay? You do not have to hide it anymore, all right? This is the season to go there. Close your eyes with me. Will you close your eyes and just think about it for a moment? I want you to go to the memories of your darkest place. I know this will be hard, okay? So go there with me. I know this will be really hard, all right? But think about what room you were in. What clothes were you wearing? What were the smells? Who was there? Who wasn't there? What was said? What was spoken? What tone? What temperament? What are the things that you remember? What was the hair color of the person who bullied you? What did they look like? What did they say? As you guys do this, as you guys walk into that moment, you can open your eyes now. I want to share my darkness with you tonight. I want to show you guys my pain. 
A lot of you guys kind of know this story, but I'm going to go there because uh, I want, yeah, a lot of you guys walked this story with me um, in this room. And I am so grateful for you and who you guys are. On April 28, 2017, I had a little girl and her name was Blakely. She had this disease, it was called Alibar holoprosencephaly, and she was not expected to live a long life. Actually, she wasn't even expected to be born. She spent a lot of her time in and out of hospitals. She had many, many seizures, and she often had a difficult time breathing. Think about how you are just breathing right now without even thinking about it, but for her, it was very difficult. And then on February 18, 2018, she stopped breathing. She died. And I remember this day. It was a Sunday. It was a hospital room about 20 feet wide, 20 feet long. We had a beautiful window that looked out in St. Petersburg over the water. And there was a construction site happening. And, and the day was a beautiful day. Absolutely gorgeous. Not a cloud in the sky, blue skies, and the sun was up. I remember thinking to myself that, if today's the day that she passes, I hope she passes while the light is still on, while the sun is still in the air. I did not want her to die in the dark. Then there was this crib. And in, in the crib, uh, I remember on the crib, there was a sign that literally the company that built these cribs was hard. It was called hard. And I remember looking at that sign every single time and thinking to myself, like, what a funny name for a crib in a hospital. Because every single day I would wake up and see that crib and see that sign and think about how hard it is to have a daughter laying in that crib. I was just, every time, I would sleep. We would sleep, I would sleep on a chair. It would pull out. It was like a plastic kind of chair, very um, uh, silicon kind of feeling. And, and I would sleep on that. And Emily would sleep on the couch, similar feeling. And we would have little sheets that the hospital would give us, white sheets that we, we would wear. And we would wake up and we'd see that sign that said hard. And, and, and we would just think, and I would just think how hard it is how hard it is for my daughter, how hard it is for me and my family. In that crib, there was, you know, she had these uh, pillows the nurses would make. It, it had uh, frozen pictures or, or like cartoon characters. Um, I think one of them was a frozen, one of them was elephants, um, little elephants. So she had all these pillows in her crib and, and they would make her sheets all pretty and cute. And they actually, uh, they put a little crown on the back end of her crib because she was a queen to them. Um, and, and, and so she had this crown at the top of her crib. And, and, and in the room, um, for Valentine's Day, I'd bought her a giraffe, um, a giant giraffe about this tall that was sitting next to her in the crib. Um, and so every night and every day and every second she spent in that crib with those elements around her. But below, underneath the sheets, um, were cords, a lot of cords attached to different parts of her body to monitor her with stickers um, on her hands, there were holes, hole pricks on her hands from all the times they would draw her blood. If you grabbed her heel and looked at the bottom of her heel, there would be these little splotches um, from, hole, from little needle pricks from when they would draw her blood. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, she, she struggled to keep her body heat. And so they would put a blanket on her, a heated blanket. It looked like an, uh, it kind of looked like an, almost like an igloo. And they would, they would put it over her and they would blow this heated air underneath it to keep her warm. This is where we were. I remember the room smelling so clean. It was so clean smelling. And yet what was happening felt so messy. Such an odd experience. And I remember this day that she passed away. 
I remember the tube that went uh, on the side of her cheek and it was taped onto her um, face with a bunch of tape to keep it there so it wouldn't come out. That tube was there so she could breathe because she needed a machine to breathe at this point. I remember my friends and family gathering in that room that Sunday on February 18th. It was probably like 30 people in there. We gathered around and we sang a worship song. We praised Jesus. We worshiped. She led us in worship. We talked about how her life had impacted us. And all these people were sharing over and over. It was, it was weird. It was kind of like, you know, when people say great things about people at a funeral. It was like she was getting to hear those things. It was like we were having that for her so she could hear them. It's funny. People say all those nice things before you know, they say all those nice things after they're gone, but we got to say them to her while she was there. And everyone got to kiss her one last time, and everyone got to hug her one last time, and everyone got to say goodbye to her one last time. Uh, Blakely was beautiful, she was loved, and she mattered a whole lot. You know, before she passed, she used to love to have her hair shampooed, so we washed her hair one last time. And then we took her off the machine and held her, and she passed away. When she died, it felt very dark, even though it was bright outside. In that moment, I couldn't find God. I had no idea where he had gone. I couldn't find Blakely either. I didn't know where she was. The first question I asked myself was, where did my daughter go? I had her body, but the body had no life. I felt my world crumbling, all that I believed crumbling, as I saw her life snuffed out. In that moment, I was unsure if I believed in God. I was unsure if I even had faith. I was unsure if I really believed in this Jesus thing. And I was unsure if life even mattered. Darkness and death played a trick on me. It took my favorite memories of Blakely and turned them into painful memories. And when I think about those memories, all I want to do is cry, even though when I used to think about them, I used to laugh. Because I cry because she's gone and those memories are fading. I cry because I wish that I could do that again. Even the memories that I hated, and like her feeding tube and her medicine or her constant beeping of the machines, I missed that even though I hated them. It felt like darkness was winning. And darkness was emptying me, emptying this world of its life and purpose. I thought to myself, if I could only know where she is, if I could just know that she's okay, if I could just see heaven and see her in heaven, then I'd be okay. If, and then I'm like, if only, and when we go into the Christmas season, this is why I think, I was like, man, I really wish I was there to see the baby Jesus in the manger. I wish that I could have seen him and been like, okay, that dude was real. It really happened. And then I'm like, I really wish that I was there to see him be crucified and die and, and check his pulse and be like, okay, he's dead. He's really dead. And then what I really, really wish is that I was like Thomas or one of the disciples who got to see him after he died and lived again. And if I could see all those things, if I could see all those things, then I'd be okay. I'd be like, listen, there's life after death. Blakely's okay. Jesus is alive. She's with Jesus. But it's really hard to say those things when you encounter darkness. It's really hard to say those things when it hurts so bad, when it feels so meaningless. When it gets really dark, it's really hard to see clearly. It's really hard to know anything. 
It's really hard to understand. You're confused and you're lost. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now, right now. You're there as you're going to those memories, as you're going to those thoughts in your life. What's your pain? Where is God? Is God in those places? Is God present in your pain? I want to tell you a little bit of history. A lot of the Bible breaks down into two concepts, darkness and light. At the beginning of time, the world was dark. I need you guys to understand this. It was very dark. It was chaotic. It was mess. And God was there. One of the most interesting things is that it was very, very dark, but God was there. And God, it says that God hovered over the darkness of the earth and the chaos of the earth, and he began to order it. And this is how he orders it. He spoke. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. That's the first thing he did, is he pushed back the darkness with light and brought order. And you know how the story goes. God made everything very, very good in the Garden of Eden. You know, like, it was like perfect. It was beautiful. It was like, it was like every single day was daylight. It was enjoyable. I mean, there was night and darkness, but it all worked together perfectly. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. You were connected to the life-giving source of God, to even the light-giving source of God. And yet, when we sin, we separated and disconnected. And now the world maybe wasn't dark anymore, but in our hearts it went dark. We were disconnected from the light, and our souls fell into darkness. How does God solve this problem? So now we just had darkness. God spoke. There was light. Now we have darkness again in the soul. God solves it 2,000 years ago with a baby boy, vulnerable baby boy who's placed in a manger. He sends his son. And you know what his son is called? The light of the world. Literally called the light of the world. That's what we call him. The hope of the world, the light of the world. And his son, he lived on earth. He was really real. We actually know this to be completely true historically. Jesus was a very real person. It's proven. It's factual. He really happened. So what do we do with Jesus now? That he's a fact that he really lived historically. So now you got this guy who really lived historically and everyone who talks about him, writes about him, records about him, says anything about him, says he was sinless. There was no darkness in him. Even though he was a human being. He showed us the light. He healed people. He took people who were broken and healed them. He, he walked and made the blind see. He took the mute and made them speak. <laughs> He came to the lepers who had skin falling off them and were gross, and he touched them and healed them. He was a saint. He was a very, so we know he's a, he was real. He's a very, very good guy, and he did these incredible things. And you know what human beings did to him? If we lived, then you know what we would have done to him, likely. Odds are you probably weren't one of the 12. Let's just play the odds. The odds are you were probably one of the ones who wanted him to be crucified. I know I probably was one of them. He was like, let's crucify him. And we snuffed him out. So we know Jesus lived, and we actually know he really died. He was dead for three days, and everyone says he came back to life. Over 500 people, witnesses, said, there's this guy named Jesus. He died on the cross, and then we saw him again. 500 people recorded this. 
wrote about this. Okay? Is he alive still? Is he alive? We wait in darkness. We're just left with this story. But I want you to know, I want you to look at the walls, I want you to look at this campus, I want you to look around you. Wherever you go, at least in America, you're going to find a church. And that church is the body of Christ here on earth. Those churches exist because they believe Jesus is alive. A lot of people believe this. He gives us his church and he gives us his word. Remember I told you he spoke and light was created out of nothing. He wrote this word down. The word was written down. The word that he spoke was written down in the Bible. And when you read it, it does things to your heart to the darkness of your soul. When you read his word, it turns back the darkness and brings light. And he does it through the Holy Spirit. It sounds really strange, but there really is a Holy Spirit that is connecting us, working through us, working through all of us, and calling us into the light. And you probably feel it right now in your heart. You feel it in your heart calling you out into the light, saying, come out of the darkness. Come out of your hiding. I want you guys to catch on to this. Jesus died. He was in the grave for three days, three days of darkness. I talked to you guys about this flow. You had darkness. There's a day of darkness, a day of light, another darkness. You got these three cycles of darkness. Jesus is gone now. He's not here. He's alive, but he sends his Holy Spirit, his word, and his church. So there's darkness, three darknesses, three days. But guess what? We're in the third day of darkness. You see how the Bible works thematically? These themes running through? Light and darkness? The light is coming. Every night ends with the sun rising in the morning. The light is coming. We live in a dark time in a dark world. Jesus is not here, but he's left us his church, his word, and his spirit. The sun will come up in the morning. It is dark, but know that the sun is coming. The light is coming. The light is coming. That's what we do during Christmas. When the winter months get dark, literally dark, We put lights on our house and lights on our trees because light is coming and winter will end and spring will come and life will be made new again. So when I reflect on the darkest moments of my life that I brought you through, and thank you for listening to me and hearing it, I have actually now, I didn't feel it in the moment, but when I look back, I can see God's movement in those moments. In the moment, I was like, God, where the heck are you? I don't know where you are. You feel so far. But when I look back, I can remember things. And so I want to share with you tonight the light that I have found. Blakely's been gone for a year and a half now. And I want to share with you the light that I have found in the darkest moments of my life. I remember... When I came here to be interviewed, Blakely, we were just pregnant. I remember sitting down in the interview process, and everyone knew that my daughter was sick, very, very sick. And I remember our senior pastor, Ray, asking me, hey, 
you know, well, why should we hire you? All these things. And I was like, I'm not sure if you should hire me. And the reason why is because I'm not sure if I believe in God. That was two, two, two and a half years ago. I'm not sure three years ago. I'm not sure if I believe in God. I have so many doubts, so many questions. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm not sure if me and God are on the same page. But you know what's beautiful about church? I really thought that that would be it. And they'd say, all right, we're not going to hire this guy. This guy's a crazy man. Um, we're not sure if he's even a Christian. No. They did not shame me. They did not respond to me like I was a disgrace. But they shared their dark moments with me. Ray pulled me into his office and he shared about his son, Tony, who had cancer. He shared about his dark moments. He said, me too, Mikey. Me too. I've been where you've been. I know what it feels like. And you know what's interesting? When people do that and say, me too, I know, I, I feel that hurt with you. When people feel your hurt with you, do you know that that's what Jesus did? He came to earth. He came and became a human being. So your pain is not foreign to him. He can say, me too, I know where you've been. I've been where you've been. When you are on your last breath, when you are passing away, when you're dying, he can say, me too, I've been on a cross. I was crucified. I died. I went there. I've been there. I'm on the other side. I'm there. I've been there. He says, me too. You say, man, life really hurts. Life really sucks. He says, me too. I got holes in my hands, holes in my feet. You're like, I've been abused. I've been victimized. He says, me too. I was tortured. I was whipped over 30 times. I was speared. I, was, I had to wear a crown of thorns on my head. I was spat upon. They ripped my beard out. They pulled my skin apart. They stripped me naked and exposed me in front of the whole city and laughed at me. You say, I've been bullied. He says, me too. That's what's so sweet and beautiful about the church. It's because he gets to say, me too. That was a little piece of light that I saw, that I remember. I remember Blakely's death day. I remember calling my friend Skyler, one of my best buddies in the whole wide world. I remember calling him, telling him that I was going to let Blakely go today, and we were going to take her off the machines. And I remember crying with him. And then I remember saying, Mikey, I'm so sorry. And he was crying with me, and then he prayed for me. He prayed just over me. I was like, I can't. I don't want to pray. And so he prayed for me, and I felt the presence of Jesus as he his heart broke for me. And I remember the many friends and family members from all over the country who came and spoke and talked about my daughter and were present with me on that day. Some of your parents were there. Some of your parents were there. And they kissed my daughter goodbye. And they kissed me and loved me and hugged me. And they showed me that there is such a thing as love in the darkness. This is the church. This is the church. There's love in the darkness. There's light in the darkness. I think one of the hardest parts about Blakely's death and my shame in this. So I want you guys to find your shame. Where do you feel shame? I feel shame because I couldn't rescue her. A good dad, you just naturally want to save your children. You want to do anything. You're like, I will do anything to save my children. You watch the movies. You watch freaking Taken. And you're like, I want to be that dude. I want to save my daughter, okay, from bad things. I want to be that guy. But instead, I had to tell Blakely that I couldn't do it. I had to tell my little girl that darkness is coming and I can't stop it. I had to tell you tonight that darkness is coming and I cannot stop it. I can't make it stop. It's coming. Darkness is coming. 
I can't stop it. I can't help you. I can't rescue you. I can't save you. I want to. I would love to be able to, but I can't. But I do get to love you. I do get to say me too with you. Like many of you have said me too with me. A lot of you at summer camp about two and a half years ago, I shared this story. And I weeped in front of you guys as I was talking about Blakely and her seizures and that she was having a really bad day. I just like collapsed in front of a bunch of high schoolers and was just weeping. And all those guys came around me and hugged me. And then they cried with me. It's Jesus. What makes people do things like that for each other? It's because there's love in the darkness. It's because it's real. It's because there's a movement in us. Because deep down we all know the light. And we all know that the morning is coming. I was not enough for my daughter to save her. But Jesus is enough. Because he's on the other side of death waiting for her. You see, my daughter's death day was her greatest day. The reason why we decided to take her off the machines is because we believed in that moment that when we took her off and when she breathed her last, that she would breathe again, this time with no seizures, this time with no medicine, she would be able to walk, be able to talk, be able to be a little kid instead of stuck in a crib made by a company called Hard. We believed that. And so we let her go because we really believed that she was going to be okay because Jesus is on the other side. And because he promises that he'll be with your children even to the end of the age. He promises to be with you on the other side. And he's with you now. In John chapter 9, so this boy born in the manger that we're you know, came to earth, became a human being, felt our pain, and says, me too, in the darkness. He calls him, he says he is the light of the world, and he does this in the story, and what's so cool about this story, this is, if you really get into the word of God, you'll start picking up on the light and darkness theme, and you'll start loving this stuff, because you can see it throughout, we just went from Genesis, we went a little bit in the middle, and now we're in John, in the gospel, and Jesus passes a blind man, who's been blind since birth. What's interesting about a blind man, who's been blind since birth, is he's never seen the light. His whole life has been dark. He doesn't know what human beings look like. It's all been dark. You see what he's getting at? You see what the point is? So he passes by a blind man in the city streets, in the dust, and the dirt. This blind man has been blind since birth, and everyone knew him around the town as a man who was blind since birth. And the reason why he was blind since birth, they all believed this, was because of the sin of his parents or his own sin. That's what they thought. They thought the reason why he was blind since birth was because his parents were sinners, and because he was a sinner, and because he deserved it. But Jesus says something very interesting when he passes by. And he hears them saying, oh, there's the blind man. And they ask Jesus, you know, why is he blind? Is he blind because of his parents or because of himself? And Jesus says, neither. Why does Jesus, what does Jesus say? In John 9, he says, the reason why he is blind is so that God's work will be displayed in him. 
God uses sin, God uses darkness, God uses pain, and uses hurt, and it doesn't tell him what to do. He tells it what to do, and it's submissive to him, and it's used by him in order to show his work, in order to show his light. Jesus said this, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus spat on the ground, made mud with, his hand, with, the, mud, with the dirt, picked it up, and placed it on the blind man's eye. He said, go and wash it off in the pool. So he went and washed it off in the pool, and he saw the light. And he worshiped Jesus. But yet he never saw Jesus. Remember, he was blind when Jesus put the mud on his eyes. He goes to the pool, washes it off. All of a sudden, he can see because of the work of Jesus, but he never saw Jesus, and yet he knew that he was the Savior of the world, the light of the world. Does that not sound like you? Have you ever seen Jesus? He takes mud, spits on it, puts it on your eyes, and says, this is your hurt, this is your pain. I feel it, I touch it, I'm there with you in the mess, in the mud, in your pain. And in that moment, you're like, I'm still blind, Jesus. I can't see you. I don't know where you are. I believe that you're out there. I believe that you're here. I believe that you're working, but I can't see. Why am I blind? Why does Blakely have alabar, holopros, and cephalin? Why do people die? Why are you depressed? Why have you been abused and victimized? Why are you addicted? Why is your family divorced? Why is your family broken? Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean anything. Is it because I'm sinful? Is it because I'm gross? Is it because I'm yucky? Is it because no one can love me? Is it because I'm unlovable? Is it because I don't matter? Is it because, God, you've left me and abandoned me? Or is it because you don't really exist? Or is it because he's going to use it to bring his light into the world? Who does God use? to bring his son into the world. If you've been following with us in church, you find out very quickly he uses people who've been raped, women. Jesus' genealogy traces back through women who've been raped, women who've been prostitutes, women who've been broken, who've been widowed. Through all the hurt, through all the pain, comes the light of the world. Jesus. I want to tell you one last story. Tonight, there's a little girl named Claire. She has trisomy 13. She's probably not going to make it. She's about six months old. She lives in North Carolina, and she's the sweetest human being. She's beautiful. But there's something interesting about Claire. She's blind. She's never seen light. She's never seen her mom. She's never seen her dad. And tonight, she's going to see her daddy. The first thing she'll ever see is her father in heaven. The one who is crazy about her. The one who she, he adores, loves, sings over. His beloved I'm going to pray for Claire tonight. But my question to you is, does Claire's life matter? 
Does it matter? Does Blakely's life matter? Does your life matter? When you hear stories like this, what does it do to your heart? It makes you love the unlovable because you know that Jesus loves you. It's calling you out. It's calling you into your true self. You can't help but love them. The world said Blakely was unlovable because she was not pretty. But if you met her, you would have fallen in love. The world said Claire was unlovable because she had trisomy 13 and she was blind. But if you met her, you would love her. When you meet special needs kids, when you meet kids who are sick, when you meet people who are sick, you fall in love. Something about brokenness, something about darkness that makes you say, me too, I know. They just don't hide though. Special needs kids don't hide. Sick kids don't hide. Old people don't hide. They're just broken. You're broken too. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. There is light and the morning is coming. We are living in a dark world. But you can share with each other. You can share with me. You can share with Sarah. You can share with Jason. Share with Jason. You can share with us all. And we will say me too. And we will cry. We will be sad. And we will talk about the day when the morning will come. When Jesus will come back again like he came the first time. But this time to seal the deal and complete the fullness of light here on earth. It's dark right now. But there's hope. You are loved and you matter. I want you to bow your heads right now.